This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherie Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Helena Creel is an award-winning playwright and screenwriter who spends her time between Los Angeles and South Africa, winning a Steven Spielberg Award for a setter up to be an A-list writer in Hollywood with produced screenplays to her credit. She is in South Africa following the launch of her book, the Year of Facing Fire, and will be in conversation with Terry Shakanovsky next Thursday, the 10th of October, at the Rabbi Cyril Harris Community Center. The book has been described as a brilliantly penned memoir about a dynamic South African family, Maya, the combative but inspired mother, Lexi, the sister who's been living in an Indian temple, Ross, the brother who dives with sharks, but is kept in the dark about his older brother's condition. She joins me now in studio to tell me more. Helena, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. Um, Helena, you're in South Africa. You've launched your book, um, The Year of Facing Fire to Higher Claims. Am I assuming that in the book you are Maya? No, Maya's my mother. Uh, you are Lexi. I'm Helena. Are you Helena in the book? Yes, yes. It's a memoir, so it follows the true story of my family. And my mother is Maya, my sister is Lexi or Alexis, and I'm the narrator. I'm Helena. Okay, so um, the book chronicles your, in a way, adventure into India. No, um, I've got book, this completely wrong. The book chronicles two things. The main narrative thrust of the book is um, my brother's struggle with HIV, um, which in the year that the book um, is written um, activates into full-blown AIDS, um, which is something that um, us siblings have been left in the dark about. So it's about us blundering into the reality of what is facing my brother. In the same year, um, I was um, researching the Kama Sutra, which is the ancient manuscript on sex and love, um, for a movie that I was um, assigned to write. And so I was basically going up and down to India researching love and trying to find out what is love um, according to the ancient manuscript. How do we apply it in a modern context? What can us modern people learn from this famous manuscript about sex and love? The odd reversal of all of it was that the love I learned was with my brother. That's where the love was. So it's really a book about searching for love and finding it in a family situation where the family comes together in a crisis and works together and a deep kind of miraculous love is born of tremendous struggle. So your brother, um, Evan, uh, had uh, HIV AIDS. And this we're talking about in the 1990s. What were the views around HIV AIDS within our community at that time? You know, AIDS was complicated and on some level, I suppose, remains slightly complicated even now. Definitely when Evan was diagnosed with AIDS, um, he was on the list of the first 20 people in the country to be diagnosed with AIDS. So certainly at that time, um, it was a highly complex um, issue and one that people weren't comfortable talking about. And taboos around talking about AIDS, did you find that prevalent at the time? 
that it was complex talking about AIDS then. Yes. Yes, you know, the, the, the family just made the decision that because it was so difficult that we actually elected not to talk about it. Um, it just seemed more straightforward. It seemed as if it gave us the kind of privacy that we needed at that time. You're, you, so you have quite a big family. Mm. How many siblings? There were four siblings. Right. Um, Evan, Evan is no longer alive, sad, sadly, of, of course. And so he was the, he, he was, there now three siblings. So was he the youngest? He was the third born. The third born. Right. So it was the three of you. And one of your brothers who was diving with sharks, didn't know what was happening. My youngest brother, Ross, um, he was very young at the time, and we'd also gone through the death of my father. Um, so my dad had died of, of lung cancer, and we'd gone into the full gamut of chemotherapy and all of the struggle of keeping him alive. So the decision was made that the family had just been through such a kind of nightmare with regard to doctors and health and hospitals and eventually my dad succumbing to his illness that that they decided not to take us into the next health crisis, which was my brother's. And how old was your brother at the time? Um, well, he was 19 years old when he was diagnosed with HIV. And the thing is that he was a very... Um, he was a significant person. He was cultured. He was incredibly um, intelligent. He played an excellent piano. I mean, you could even say a, a you know, concert standard piano playing. Um, he was a teacher um, at Damlin College. He was absolutely loved and revered by his students. And um, it was a, a sort of very, very difficult thing for a person like that to suddenly at 19 find out that they are mortal. And so his whole life changed, basically. He went from being like the rest of us. We were hedonistic and a little bit crazy at that time. And we were all young. You know, we were acting out. And when Evan found out that he had HIV at 19 years old, his whole life changed. He basically devoted himself to mitzvahs. And his whole life centered around mitzvahs. Every single night he was doing a different mitzvah. Helena, his life changed, but your life changed too. Absolutely. And the lessons you learned were not in India, where the truth apparently is, but at home. And do you want to just tell about your experience and your truths? You know, I I think that I began the story as a person that wanted a certain certainty in life. You know, I wanted things to work out in the way I wanted them to work out. I had agendas that I wanted to fulfill in a way that that my vision dictated would be the correct way of those things being fulfilled. Having a brother who became very ill at such a young age took me and took the rest of the family into the realm of a deep uncertainty. How old were you? Sorry. Um, I was in my mid-twenties at that time. Uh, No, early twenties, actually. So, um, so, I mean, we were youngsters and, and we were thrust into a situation of having to find, having to rock solid, rock steady in the midst of unbelievable uncertainty. And, you know, people like certainty. If you even look at the way society is constructed, people go on holiday to the same place every year. They live in the same house for 20, 30, 40 years. They go to the same restaurants. They have the same jobs. We like certainty as human beings because uncertainty is 
It's frightening. And we were just thrust into very, very intense uncertainty. And um, there was something about the power of facing that uncertainty and coming to live with it in a way that we accepted it and we found we found our we found our way within uncertainty, and I think that was really sort of the most remarkable aspect of all of it. Apart from the fact that what you expect to happen is not what happens. I mean, we dreaded my brother getting sicker. We wanted to do everything to keep him well, to keep him alive, to not have him go in the way that it seemed as if things were going to go. And yet the miracle of it all was is that as he got sicker and as he did start going towards really where we realized he would not survive this, life was brighter. Life became truly, and I hope I don't sound Try it when I say this. Life became miraculous. There was such deep love. There was such deep friendship. There was vision. There was depth that revealed itself at that time. And so the, the, the book is very much about the fact that we can't assume that we're going to know how a situation is going to be for us. And even when we're facing the most difficult thing, which is a loved younger sibling being in a terminal condition, you can't imagine what actually might happen to you and it probably will be very different to what you're anticipating so I think it was a very interesting time because we realized that life burns brightly when you least expect it to and that I think gave us a real sense of certainty in the uncertainty and your book um, The Year of Facing Fire is that what it's ultimately about. Yeah, I mean, it's about the fact that we all face fire, you know, and I think a lot of the time we hide from the fire we face, and we also get very private about the fire that we have faced. People like to say, I'm fine, things are great, everything's wonderful, but actually the reality is life isn't straightforward, and we all face fire, and this was the year that we as a family faced fire, and, um, you know, I, I Welcome the conversation around this because everybody goes through difficulty, very big difficulty. And in fact, it's interesting that in Judaism, they say you have to go through difficulty because it claims your soul to refinement and goodness. So we have to be grateful even for the, for the difficulty that we go through. So it's, it's that idea is what is the difficulty? Where is the fire? Let's have a conversation. Helena, you are going to be in conversation with Terry Shakonovsky, and that is on Thursday, the 10th of October, at the Rabbi Cyril Harris Community Center, and your books will be on sale, and they, you will have them autographed. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure it's going to be an amazing evening. I know that you need to book. If anybody would like to go, you do need to book. Um, and you need to do so by contacting Hazel or Renee, 11 or email rchcc at telcomsa.net. I wonder in the remaining few minutes of the show whether you can tell me what it is like to be a screenwriter in Hollywood. Um, it's definitely the belly of the beast. I'll put it that way. Um, you have to be very collaborative. Um it's a very strange environment because there's a lot of ego. There's quite a lot of bad behavior. There's a lot of positioning and everybody wants to be, um, successful. So you have to be, um, you have to be playful. 
I'll put it that way. So I, I, I was imagining the word you would say would be cutthroat. <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's the opposite. Because I think if you cutthroat, then you start, um, you start having a conversation that just leads to bad behavior. And it leads to you, your life becoming odd. And that's not anything that I'm interested in. I think that creativity is play. And I think that if you're dynamic and resourceful and collaborative, you can play. And then I think your work becomes much stronger. And I think your experience of your work becomes something that enriches you as opposed to sort of draining you into what is commonly understood to be the domain of, of, of Hollywood, which is cutthroat, as you say. Um, the domain of Hollywood, you are a South African Jewish woman. Uh, to what extent does that this disadvantage you? And to what extent does it advantage you? You know, I mean, the, the reality is that that Hollywood is changes and keeps changing. It's very much understood to be a boys club. Mm. So if you, you know, there are very few actually successful women screenwriters. Um, so I'm a little bit of an anomaly in that, in that sense, but I've never really seen my, I don't like to box myself. I don't see myself as a woman, a South African, you know, Jewish. I'm just a human being showing up with dynamic stories to tell. I want to engage people in conversation. I want to collaborate in a dynamic and fun way. And I think that's really um, been the thing that's, that, that has helped me all along is that um, I'm a human being and I think people receive me as such. And, you know, Hollywood is changing now. Um, it very much, you know, diversity is the order of the day. Being a woman is the order of the day. So, you know, everything is in the process of changing. Um, when you, Can you give me some of your work that you've written and some experiences? Um, well, the thing in Hollywood that um, um, is not really understood outside of Hollywood is that only 5% of writers are produced. So you can be having a thriving career and be making a lot of money and be living in a lovely house and you've never had a movie produced. So I happen to have had two movies produced, which puts me in this kind of rarefied air of 5%, uh, you know, w- w- which, which I'm eternally grateful for the fact that, that I am in that small coterie of writers. Um, the, the most enjoyable thing I have to say is when you work with a director, a lot of the time you're working with producers and development people, so-called. There's a lot of politics that goes with that, a lot of kind of positioning. You know, who who do you have to listen to? Who do you, you know, who do you... Who do you not need to listen to so strongly? When the director comes on board, it's a lot of fun because they are creative like you are creative. And then it really becomes a kind of a marriage of interesting minds because it's, it's the real collaboration happens at that point. It sounds like an absolutely glamorous life, is it? Um, you know, I, I think people have a sense of the glamour that goes with, with things, but Discipline is really the order of the day. You know, unless you are disciplined and you're waking up and you are at your desk, you know, there are deadlines to fulfill. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of alone time and you're sitting on your own and having to be rigorous with yourself, for yourself. Um, I think the glamour is the freedom that goes along with it because I can really be anywhere in the world and my computer goes with me. And I think that is where I would put the glamour, not at not because it's the Hollywood experience of it at all. It's really that that if you are rigorous and you are disciplined and you can fulfill your deadlines, you can be anywhere in the world doing that. 
You started off the interview by saying you were going to India to find um, this kind of the secrets or the basis of love and society. And I wonder in your life's journey, have you found what the meaning of life is? Life or love? Life and love. I think I would absolutely say that the meaning of life is uh, to acquire freedom and to be light on your feet, to not to take things personally, not to take things seriously, um, to look for fun, to look for where the fun is. To me, that is absolutely the secret of life. Your your um, documentary on the Kamasutra, was that turned into a film? It was never a documentary. It was always a narrative love story. Okay. Um, and so, yes, it was. It absolutely was. Um, um, pretty successful and famous director, Mira Nair, was the director of that. And, um, you know, I'm always amazed that even now people come up to me and say, you know, I love that movie. And it still apparently has traction. And your book, The Year of Facing Fire, are you turning that into a movie? Um, I have a couple of producers who are very interested in, in it becoming a movie, so I'm in those conversations at the moment. So that's probably next on the cards for you. Um, when you are back in Johannesburg in January, you are going to come back into the studio and we are going to talk about the fact that you are the founder and president of Baby Rhino Rescue, an international non-profit dedicated to saving rhinos from extinction. We are definitely going to explore the situation of the rhinos. I look forward to having you back. In the meantime, if anybody would like to attend the launching of the book here in South Africa, the book being The Year of Facing Fire, you are to go next Thursday, the 10th of October, to the Rabbi Cyril Harris Community Center. Don't forget that booking is essential. You can contact Hazel Renee, 011-728-8088. In the meantime, um, Helena, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Good luck with um, your stay in South Africa. Thank you so much. And um, I look forward to having you back. I'll be here. Thank you very much. That was Helena Creel talking about her book, The Year of Facing Fire.